0: My name is Brian, uh, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's so good to have you with us. Would you grab your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 18? Luke chapter 18, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew back in front of you. If you don't own a hard copy of the Scriptures, I would love for you to take that home with you. Uh, We really want everybody to have a physical copy of the Scriptures, and if you didn't have one coming in, uh, we would love for you to have one as you go. So please uh, feel free to take that one with you. We're glad to uh, put that back, uh, fill that back in this week. Um, We're in this series called Encountering God in Dark Places. Uh, One of the things that the church does not specialize in talking about is the dark places, but they're the reality. For many of our lives, we hit points of struggle, points of suffering, points of uh, real wrestling. And um, the good news is Jesus has gone before us in that as well. And he has also... Encountered God in dark places, and He has uh, given us a pathway as to how we should do the same. And so uh, that's what we've been kind of working through this Lenten season. Last week we talked about uh, we're we're using kind of uh, familiar images to highlight the ideas that we're talking about. We use the image of a hospital. We talked about sickness, whether it's the kind of uh, annoying kind of sickness that just kind of keeps you feeling a little lousy, or it's the uh, chronic or even terminal kind of sickness that, uh, that really dictates the direction of your life and moves you towards death. For all of us, we experience sickness at some level. We have loved ones who experience sickness at some level, and um, we have to wrestle with where we encounter God in the middle of that. There is an invitation, as we uh, enacted last week, to pray for healing, to ask God to heal. Um, But many of our experiences is that we pray and we ask God to heal, and it feels like he is not responding. And then sometimes he does. And there's a mystery in that that we, uh, I, I couldn't possibly explain, nor would I attempt to explain. But there's a reality to that mystery where sometimes we pray and God answers. And sometimes we pray and pray and pray and God doesn't answer, and then he does. And sometimes we just pray and pray and pray, and God answers in a different way. And um, I, I want to tell you a story this morning, or more uh, properly, I want to give you the opportunity to listen to a story that kind of bridges those two ideas, the idea of sickness and uh, the way that God meets us in healing and the fact that sometimes we come to him over and over and over again for years before he responds if he responds in the way that we expect at all and so I'm going to ask Catherine to come and she's going to tell you a story and as she tells you a portion of her story I want you to try to get the breadth of uh, the journey that she's been on as God has met her so listen to Catherine's story.
1: Hi, everyone. Um, Last week, I was so excited when people, so many people, came forward for healing, and um, I said to Brian after the service, I am so excited. It's been almost a year since, I don't know the exact date, but um, that I went up for healing, and I said every day since then, I've just been so thankful. I said, if you ever want me to share when you're having people share, he said, okay, next week, so... (laughs) Surprise! So here I am. So, anyway, um, I remember sitting right over there and we were going up for a communion. And as I was going up for a communion, um, I heard God say, You need to go up for healing. And honestly, I didn't feel worthy. I didn't want to go. You think I would want to run? And then also, there was another dumb thought that came to mind like I was limiting God. Like, if I come up here, and it's too full, other people, like God's so big, you know, it was just silly. So anyway, I uh, just wanted to encourage you, please come up and don't let any of those stop you if God calls you up here. And so I came up, and uh, one of my other thoughts was, I don't have a physical ailment, and, um, but none of that mattered. So God called me up here, and the healing was for my marriage. And so I came and knelt right here and told Brian... Um A little bit of my story, and uh, shortly after I was married in two thousand and four, things took a really bad turn. It was uh, quite the dark place and um, many years of praying, many years and About four years ago, I think it was four years ago, I left my husband and for about six months, and I came back and God had worked on both of us through all of this, many other little stories through there. But we were able to live together again, but I wanted full restoration of our marriage. I didn't just want a roommate or to be able to live together. Um, And so I prayed, and God healed me, and when I went home, I saw my husband like when I was first married, and to this day, we're still so in love with each other. It's just been a wonderful journey. So... Yeah. One more thing I wanted to share as um, last service, when Brian was preaching, came to mind. One of the things that um, was transformational as I was up here, before I was healed, um, I remember saying to God, I trust you fully. If you're going to heal my marriage a week before I die, I'm okay. I trust you and your plan. So thank you.
0: Catherine, thanks for being willing to share your story with us. Uh, Don't let that deter you from telling me your story. You don't have to share it the next (laughs) week. She was willing, so I just asked her, you know. I want want you to um, not to put too fine of a point on it, but I want you to think about the journey that Catherine had been on. So, 18 years and really since nearly the beginning of her marriage, she had been praying. So that's 18 years of God heal this, nothing. God heal this, nothing. God, i, I longing for you to heal this. I, I believe that you want to heal this. Nothing, for 18 years. And there's a moment, 18 years in, where God says, go up for healing. And one of the things that she didn't say kept her, but I can guarantee you would have kept me, is, God, I've asked you for 18 years already, do I have to go again? How many of us have experienced those moments where we're asking God, talking to God, we're seeking to draw close to God, we're doing all the stuff that we know we're supposed to do, and we're met with silence? Like maybe you come in here on a Sunday morning and you hear all of the rejoicing and the hand-waving and the dancing, well, at least in the front row there's some dancing, a little bit of dancing, uh, and, 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 there's, and there's shouting and excitement, and there's, there's weeping and kneeling, and what you feel is nothing. I mean, you see what's happening, but you don't feel anything. I'm going to ask you to do something that's really brave. Uh, if you've experienced that at some point in time, Would you raise your hand if you experienced that? Would you look around? See, what what the enemy tries to do is multiply the, the silence with loneliness. But the reality is this is part of the journey for all of us. It's not just for brand new Christians. It's not just for junior varsity Christians. It's not just for senior varsity Christians, super Christians. It's not just for people who are trying to decide if they want to follow Jesus. It's not just for people who've decided they want to follow Jesus. It's for all of us. And if you didn't raise your hand a minute ago, I would love to have a conversation with you a year from now because I'm guessing it's coming for you. This is our journey. There's an image that I want to show you. It's the image of a desert. And for many of us, There are moments where this is what our journey looks like, what our journey feels like. Now, here's what I want to encourage you with before we jump in. The feeling of the desert does not make the reality of the gospel any less true. But it does make us feel like a desert. And that's a dark place. How do we meet God in the middle of that? Culturally and biblically, there's lots of reasons why we find ourselves in the desert. Let me just hit a few. Um, from a cultural perspective, we live in a world of hurry. Um, for many of us, you get up first thing in the morning, you're already on it, and you go all the way through the day, and you spend every moment of every day full of something, even if that something is just an app that must be scrolled, like you, you need it, right? So there's just something is filling all of our time. hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. The way that you might say it is that it seems like God is absent, but we're actually the ones who are absent. Hurry can get in the way of the experience, the feeling of God. Sometimes what blocks the feeling of the presence of God is our sin. Jesus says at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that the pure in heart will see God. And the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 speaks the inverse of that. That there is a holiness that's given by God that allows us to see him. Now, of course, let me be really clear. The holiness that we have is not holiness that we generate, but holiness that comes through repentance given as a gift from God. But when there's unrepentant sin, when we have embraced sin, that can get in the way of our relationship with God. Sometimes it's not hurry. Sometimes it's not sin. Sometimes it's actually demonic. I'm uh, going to explain what the scriptures say because I can't explain it any more than that. But in Je- Daniel chapter ten, it uh, talks about the prophet spending 21 days of fasting, seeking God, and at the end of 21 days, has not had an experience with God. And then an angel shows up to him, and I, I can only recount to you the way it's recorded in the scriptures. It says that um, that he was coming to him 21 days before when he began to seek God but he was deterred by a demonic being and there was a war in the heavenly places that deterred him from coming for 21 days. I I can't explain to you any more than that. I can simply say that there are times that in the spiritual realm, there is a block to our experience with God. And the history of the church and some of uh, the great saints of the church would tell us that sometimes not experiencing the feeling of the presence of God is actually right where God wants us. There are two writers, especially uh, Spanish mystics, St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross, and they talk about something called the dark night of the soul, where God takes away the feeling of his presence so that we would grow into the truth of his presence. I don't have time to fully unpack that today. God willing, a year or so from now, we're going to be going through a series where uh, we'll be able to dig into that a little bit more. But for today, I want to lump all of those together and just ask the simple question How do we encounter God when He's silent? What's it look like for us to encounter God when He's silent? And to start that process, I want to use another story. Uh, this time a story that Jesus told. And so Bill is going to come and uh, declare for us Luke chapter 18, 1 to 18. I want you to picture this story as Jesus tells it recorded by Luke as it unfolds before us.
2: And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Uh. Give me justice against my adversary. Uh. Give me justice against my adversary. Uh. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, uh, I will give her justice uh, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Ah! <laughs> and the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on earth? Hmm?
0: Thank you, Bill. Would you pray with me? Jesus, as we turn our heart to this teaching from your word, would you open our hearts to hear what it is that you desire to tell us, that we would have spirits that are open, hearts that are receptive to your word this morning. Whether we come this morning in the midst of a rich place in our journey with you or we come in the midst of a dry place in our journey with you, would you meet us one way or another with your spirit and with your truth and speak to us. Guard my words that they would come from you alone, that the words that come from my flesh would fall to the ground and be forgotten, but the words that come from your spirit would remain, that you would change us from the inside out, that we would increasingly be more and more like you. And so God, do this work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So this parable in Luke 18 is one that you've probably heard overtones of in different places, but this is actually unique to Luke's gospel in its specific form. Um, and it's one that I want us to look at the, the parable itself. Uh, Jesus tells us specifically why he's telling, Luke tells us specifically why Jesus is telling it. And so I want us to engage the parable. Then I want us to engage the question, what do we do in the waiting? In the time where it seems as though God is not present with us, how do we respond What's it look like for us to respond to God in the midst of the waiting? And then finally, the question I want to ask each week as we go through this series, how do we encounter God in the dark place of silence? How do we encounter him? So let's start with a parable. Um, Jesus doesn't do this with uh, all of his parables. There's some parables that Jesus tells that we have to kind of figure out what angle um, this storyline is coming at. But uh, Luke tells us in uh, chapter 18, verse 1, very specifically why he tells the parable. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So Jesus is telling this parable to us who are praying but not getting any answers in order to remind us to keep praying and not lose heart. And he has these two different figures. The unjust judge, um, not just unjust by Jesus declaration, but actually unjust by his own declaration, right? Like he says, I don't fear God and I don't feel fair man, but this woman's driving me crazy, right? Like so you have this this guy who's not out for justice He's not out to impress God or impress the people around him. He just wants what's most comfortable for him. And even that guy is worn down by this widow who's persistently coming to him and asking over and over and over and over again. What's Jesus trying to tell us? Well, first, I think he's saying that when we come before God with a petition, we should not come once for all and assume if we don't hear anything, then never mind, we're done and go away. Like a lot of us, I think, have this idea that I've asked God, he didn't answer, so I'm done. And what God's saying to, what Jesus is saying to us is keep asking. Don't assume no, talk to me. There's something that I'm doing in you, in us, through that process of asking. As we humble ourselves before him, as we long, as, we are, as our desires and the longings of our hearts are honed, there's this work that God's doing in us, so keep asking, he says. But he also says, keep asking not just because there's an answer on the other side, but keep asking because of the nature of the one that you're asking. See, the, the, the dichotomy that Jesus is trying to get at here is the difference between an unjust judge and the good father that we have in heaven. And what he's saying is, if you would go back to an unjust judge over and over and over again and just wear him down in the hopes that he would ultimately give you what you want, what about the fact that you have a God who loves you, a Father who loves you, and who desires what's best for you. So continue to go until you hear something different. And sometimes you do. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells the story of the thorn in his flesh. And as he brought it before God again and again and again, God said to him, I'm not going to heal that. But instead, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Sometimes God does that. But until he does... We're invited, asked to bring it back to him again and again and again and again. Why? Because the character of the one that we're bringing it to says that he will ultimately meet us. Jesus is telling the story so that we would recognize as we're praying and as we're encountering God in the midst of the silence, that we're not praying to one who is unjust, who is uh, over us and uh, just kind of choosing which way oh, I'll bless you over here and I'll curse you over here, but rather a God who loves us and who wants to meet us and who wants the best for us. There's a, a longing of his heart that we're, to, that we're to tap into. David Platt, when he's commenting on this, uh, this parable, says this, the whole point of Luke 18 is because we know the character of God. We know he's wise, he's good, he's loving, he's perfect, he's sovereign and so we can trust him even as he doesn't answer in the way that we would like. We can pray and not lose heart because we are holding fast to who he is and that he will glorify his name by providing good for his children. If we know who God is, we can continue to come back to him and recognize that what he's doing in the midst of the silence in the midst of the longing, in the midst of the process, is good, even if it doesn't look good to us. Because we're not coming to an unjust judge who's capricious and just deciding to do whatever he wants based on what he feels like in the moment. But we are coming to a God who we know to be good through the entirety of Scripture, through the experience that we've had with him. And so even in those moments where we don't feel his presence, We can anchor ourselves in what's true, and that's what Jesus is saying. Keep coming back to him. You don't have to feel it in the moment. You know what's true. You know that he's wise. You know that he's good. You know that he's loving. And so based on his character, come back to him. But the reality is there's this waiting period where sometimes we bring a request, and it takes a really long time. Sometimes God never answers in the way that we wish he would. And so, what do we do in the midst of that? What do we do in the midst of the 18 years as we're longing? What's the waiting look like? Well, there's a lot of ways to answer that question more than we have time for today, but I want to at least take you to two different places. So, would you turn to Psalm 42? Psalm 42. What do we do in the waiting? Well, the psalmists will uh, tell us lots of different things that we can do in the waiting. If you're in a place of waiting, let me encourage you to dig into the psalms because in the psalms you will find uh, lots of uh, direction and camaraderie in that journey. That uh, There are people who are waiting, uh, who were waiting just as you were waiting. Psalm 42 is a much-loved psalm that uh, had a wonderful song written in the late 70s and early 80s that some of you really grew up on as the deer, I'm not going to sing it to you, as the deer pants for streams of water, you know that one. It's this lovely song that just feels like this kind of like cozy, like draw close to God kind of psalm. That's not at all what the psalm says. So let me read for you what (laughs) Psalm 42 actually says because that song totally throws you off. So listen to the psalmist. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We'll stop there. What I want you to see is that the psalmist is not saying, oh, just like the deer cozies up to the stream. What the psalmist is saying is the deer, having gone days without anything to drink, came to the stream and it was dry and it was really frustrating. Like, I... God, I'm coming to you, I'm longing for you, I have this deep soul longing for you, and I know you can meet it, and the stream keeps being dry, what's going on? And I love the honesty of the psalmist because it resonates so much with my story. Like, he, he says, uh, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. God, I remember when you met me in worship. I remember when all the people were around and I was, I was feeling your goodness and I, I heard you talk to me and I had the tears running down my cheeks. I remember it. Why don't I feel anything now? Why is it so quiet? Why are you so far away? And what does the psalmist say? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. What do we do as we wait? Well, the psalmist says, give yourself a pep talk. Talk to yourself about what's true. Anchor yourself in the reality of who God has been for you and trust that you will get there again. Sometimes our feelings start to run away and we need to come back to what our experience is. One of the beauties of journaling You can come back to what God has said at one point in time and anchor yourself back in. I remember he said this. I know this is true. The psalmist is saying, sometimes you're going to need to talk to yourself. Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. He will come through. As we wait, one of the things that we need to do is talk to ourselves. Remind ourselves of what's true. The second one that I want to look at is in Psalm 73. So turn just a little bit forward to Psalm 73. This is a fascinating psalm on so many levels. We don't have time to dig through all of it. I just want to read a couple of the uh, early verses for you, and then we'll skip down a bit. Um, it, It starts this way. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek, which, by the way, is a compliment in Israel. I know that doesn't sound good to us, but that was, that was a good thing. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Um, the, the psalmist, I'm, we're going to stop there. The, the psalmist is going to say, he's going to unpack over the course of like 15 verses. Why is it that I know that you desire to be good to Israel? I'm part of Israel. Why is it that I look around and I see the evil people getting blessed and I see the good people not getting that blessing? Why is it that when I uh, look at people who are experiencing the presence of God, I know their stories. I know what they're doing on Tuesday afternoon. Like, how do, why am I not experiencing God's presence? Like, I'm longing for God and you're, you're showing up to those people? Like, what's the deal? The psalmist is is, is in this place of saying, like, I, I'm approaching God, I know the character of God, I know what I'm longing for, but I'm looking at the reality around me and it's 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 really it's it's ticking me off. I'm a little frustrated. Like, I don't like this. Because you're blessing people who I don't think should be blessed, and I'm not experiencing that blessing, and I don't know why. There's nothing I'm doing. I've confessed all my sin. I've dealt with all the stuff. I've done all the things I'm supposed to do, and I'm not experiencing you. Why? What's the deal? Well, I want you to jump down to verse uh, 16. Psalmist says this: When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places; you make them fall to ruin how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, and he's going to continue forward. What, what the psalmist is saying is, um, it, I, I had to stop and come into the presence of God and, I would argue, not feel anything any different, but look into the reality of eternity. Look forward. Look upward. And as I look upward... I recognize that there is an end where God will make all wrong things right. And God will undo all of the brokenness. And in the end, there will be no sense of injustice. That he will meet me exactly where I am. And he will be faithful to me. And so the psalmist is saying, like, what I see is temporary, But when I come into the light of eternity, I I see it the way it should be. I I see it in perspective. And and for many of us, that, that moment of not experiencing the voice of God, here feeling the silence of God, it feels like an eternity in the middle of it. But in light of eternity, it's just a blip on the screen. We will spend eternity before the face of God with nothing in the way, you, you will spend far more time than you spend on this earth the way that you are right now in this mortal body, fully in the presence of God, with nothing inhibiting i, I, I don 't understand all of the ways that the symbols through uh, the the end times passages unfold, but one of those symbols is that we will no longer need the sun or moon or lamp because the light of the presence of God will always be with us. So when you don't experience him, when I don't experience him in a moment, it's just a blip on the screen. And that's what the psalmist is telling us. He's saying, like, you're longing, I'm longing to see the hands of God do something. I'm looking squarely at his hands, hoping that he's going to work. And the psalmist is saying, look up, look to his face. And what you will find when you look to the face of God is that his hands might not be doing what you want them to do, but his face, number six, is shining on you. He is turned towards you and he's giving you peace. So look to him. What do we do as we wait? We talk to ourselves, tell ourselves what's true. And we look to eternity, we look to the face of God to recognize that he's good in the middle of all of these things. So how do we encounter God? In the midst of silence. What's the process look like? Well, I wanna walk you through just a few things. Um, th- these are just s- some basic things. I don't wanna dig in. Uh, we'll spend some time this week during the daily podcast trying to dig into these a bit more. But when, when we can't sense the, the feeling of the presence of God, there's a mystery that we have to learn to embrace. And so there's a process that we can walk through. The first thing is pretty simple. Um, we tend, as humans, to try to get through the negative thing in order to get to the other side of it. Because we, we assume if I just work harder, I can get through this faster so I can get to the other side more quickly. So I'm going to get up earlier and stay up later and do more devotions and do more disciplines and engage more stuff so that I can experience the presence of God. And My word to you would be, Relax. Because you were never in charge of your relationship with God to start with. That's, that's an illusion. <laughs> He's in charge. He's God. You're not God. And so rest. Create enough space and then wait. Wait on the presence of God to come. And that may take a long time or that may happen in the moment. If it's hurry that has gotten in the way, just creating space may be enough. But if there's that moment where God's saying, right now is the time where um, I'm strengthening you by not allowing you to feel my manifest presence, then it may take some time. But either way, your striving is not going to make it any faster. So rest. Rest. Confess any known sin and ask the Holy Spirit if there's anything else. So many of us wrestle with the idea that sin is what is blocking the relationship with God. If you have confessed, honestly, before God, everything that you can confess, and if you have gone to the Holy Spirit and said, God, would you show me anything else that may be standing in the way? And he doesn't show you anything? It's not sin that's blocking your pathway. So again, relax. There are people who beat themselves up so much about there must be something, there must be something. And if there is, confess it, absolutely. Find someone that you can process with. Get to the other side of it. But if there's not, don't just assume that you're guilty. The gift of God is grace and peace. His face is turned towards you. He loves you. And so if he's not directing you towards something, relax, it's okay. Pray with brothers and sisters. If you're in a dry place, Pray with brothers and sisters. If there's spiritual warfare to be done, bring those alongside of you who can pray into those things and trust that God, who has already had the victory, will be victorious in it. Just give it some time. The waiting is the challenge because waiting is what's called liminal space. Maybe you know that, uh, that uh, term. Liminal space is basically the idea that um, it, it takes a long time to get through something when you don't know when the end is. Like if you know a a year from now I'm going to be able to experience the presence of God, no problem. If you know 10 years from now you're going to experience the presence of God, no problem. But if you know at some point in time that's undetermined you're going to experience the presence of God, that takes forever, right? That, That idea of liminal space means that we have to wait patiently even though it's difficult, even though it's frustrating. When we're in that space don't doubt in the desert what God spoke in the river. Let me me say that again. Don't doubt in the desert what God spoke in the river. Remember the story of Jesus at the beginning of the Gospels? He goes into the river to be baptized, and God the Father speaks over him as the Spirit comes down and lands on him. God the Father speaks over him and says, this is my Son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And then Three of the gospel writers record specifically for us that right then he went out into the desert to be tempted. And what was the temptation? Well, what Satan said to him was, if you're really the son of God, can that that word from the river be trusted? After 40 days of silence, after fasting, after being out in the desert all by yourself, are you really the son of God? Don't doubt in the desert what God has said in the river. Come back to the things that you said and anchor yourself in what's true, what, what you know to be true. Live in community. We need people who are experiencing the manifest presence of God when we're in dry places and they need us when they're in dry places. We need one another. It's part of the why, why God put us together in community. Um, there, are, there are some of you who well, I'm sure have the experience of during the week, Monday through Saturday, it's very difficult for you to feel a sense of the manifest presence of God. And then you get in here on a Sunday morning and worship starts happening. You're like, oh, there it is. All right, that's good, right? Because there's this, there's this thing that comes alive because there's people here who are also journeying with you and they're experiencing God. And as they experience God, there's a sense of being carried forward. Community does that for us. We need one another. That's why it's so difficult Nearly impossible for us to pursue Jesus on our own. We need one another. Real community of people who are committed to us and we're committed to them. We have to learn to trust the face of God. So how do we encounter God in the silence? We come back to his face, who he is. Peter quoted C.S. Lewis earlier in the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, w- there's a bunch of stuff that Lewis uh, wrote. For some reason, he's more known for his fiction than his nonfiction. Um, but uh, he's written a bunch of incredible stuff. But there's another nonfiction work, not part of the Chronicles of Narnia, that's fascinating. It's called The Screwtape Letters. Some of you know that, uh, that work. Um, basically, The Screwtape Letters are a um, reversal Uh, in perspective. So they're written from the perspective of a chief demon who is talking to his nephew, the underling demon named Wormwood, and he's uh, talking to the demon about how to get in the way of people, humans, following after God who he terms as the enemy. And so the uh, the whole work is kind of inverted, like everything's kind of opposite. But Uh, Lewis talks very specifically about this kind of silence, and it's a little bit of a longer quote, but with that kind of perspective in mind, I want to read through this quote because I think it's really helpful for us. Uh, Listen to what Lewis says. Sooner or later, he withdraws. So that he is God himself. Uh, This is the, the demon talking, chief demon talking. Sooner or later, he withdraws, if not in fact, at least from their conscious experience, all those supports and incentives. He leaves the creature, that's us, to stand up with its own legs, to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. It is during such trough periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it, that's you and I, is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. Keep going. Hence the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased, even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and yet still obeys. There's power in us continuing on in the journey, even in the midst of the dryness, even in the silence. The heart of what Lewis is saying there is that there are times where as God removes his hand from us... We strengthen our legs and begin to walk. And as we begin to walk, there's joy in that journey as well. If there's sin in the way, we should confess it. If there's busyness that keeps us from experiencing the presence of God, we should settle our lives and create space. If there's spiritual warfare, we should pray into it. But we should recognize the fact that there are going to be times where we just experience these dry periods because God is helping us to draw close to him. And so we continue on, faithful, telling ourselves the truth in light of eternity. The process of looking upward at the face of God can be a challenging one because we long for his hands to do work. We want him to do stuff. But the invitation is to look up. And so I want to encourage you to do that this morning. One of the beauties of the corporate gathering and the, the liturgy that goes with it, all that means is the order of the people, kind of the way that we, the way that we structure our gatherings. Um, w- one of the beauties of it is that this happens whether you feel like it or not. You know, I, I come and worship every Sunday morning whether I feel the presence of God or don't feel the presence of God. You, you come and listen and engage whether you feel the presence of God or not. We go through this process because it's true. Not because it's a, a ceremony that has to be gone through, but because it's true. And nothing is more like that than the communion meal. Because when we come to communion, we come to the physical bread and the cup. It's tangible, we can touch it with our hands. And whether we feel it or not, it's true. Jesus has given his life for you. His body was broken, his blood was shed. And for some of you, there's an emotional experience where God meets you in your emotions and in your heart and in your soul and in your spirit. That's beautiful, and I don't want to downplay that at all. It's wonderful when that happens. There are also times where God does not do that, but it's still just as true. And so we come and we declare what's true. And so this morning, I want to invite you once again to do that, to come to the communion meal and to receive. So if you are serving, I'm going to ask you to come and take the elements around the room and the worship team is going to come and lead us as we respond. Let me just give you a few words as we uh, do that. As you come to one of these stations, I want to encourage you to think about the tangible reality of God in our midst, not the feeling but the truth of God in our midst. That his broken body and his shed blood is given for you and I that we would receive from him. There are going to be stations all around the room. This station here in the front and the one right in the middle under the clock, which is still an hour wrong, so don't worry, relax. (laughs) Those two stations are gluten-free stations and also touch-free stations. So you'll uh, receive a piece of gluten-free bread. You'll take a cup and... uh, And words of blessing will be spoken over you. All of the other stations around the outside are regular bread. You'll take that bread and you'll dip it into the cup and uh, you'll receive words of blessing. I want to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to go and declare these things to be true. To hear them declared over you. Um, It doesn't matter if you feel it right now or not. You're invited, so come and receive. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, a couple things I want to say. First of all, I, I want you to know with uh, in no uncertain terms, you are welcome, and Jesus has invited you in. And so that means that if today's the day for you to jump into that, jump into that. We'd love to have you come to one of these stations, and we'd love to have you step into the pathway of following after him. But if today is not the day for you, I would ask you not to come to one of these stations. And the reason is really simple. This is not just a ceremonial thing. But this is a, what's called a covenant sign. It's a truth of saying, I am continuing on in that journey. I'm reminding myself of what's true as I follow after him. And so if you're not ready to follow after him, then I would encourage you not to go to one of these stations. We're going to all be moving. People are not going to look at you funny. It's totally fine. So just uh, remain where you are or whatever is most comfortable for you. There'll be some prayers that'll be on the screen and they may help you as you process. One of the prayers just says, God, show me more. I would like to understand more. And the second one says, God, I'm ready to follow you. I don't know all the answers, but I'm ready to follow you. The only thing I would say is if you pray that prayer to begin to follow Jesus, would you let somebody know? Because um, as I said, following Jesus alone is just about impossible. We need one another and we need you. And so um, just like you need us, we would love to be part of your journey last thing I want to say is if you're a follower of Jesus but there's an area of your life that you have held on to, I don't mean that you commit sins like all of us do, but I mean that there's an area of sin that you've said, I deserve this, I'm holding on to this, this is mine. It, if that's where you are, I would also ask that you not go to one of these stations, but rather take time to process that before the Lord because um, th- that's, a, um, that's a significant block in that covenant relationship and this is an opportunity for you to make that right. And so I would encourage you, rather than going to a sign of the fact that it can be right, to actually make it right. As we have this time, the altars are always open for you. This side, we would love to be able to come and pray with you, uh, anoint you for healing, or to pray along with you. This side is just a place for you to be able to meet with God on your own. So I want to encourage you to use this time to come to the table, to receive, and to come into the presence of God so that we would meet with him. Let me pray over us. Jesus We are so grateful for your love for us. We're grateful that our feelings do not determine what's true, but that even when we don't feel you, you are here with your face turned towards us. And so God, help us to anchor in that truth, to say to ourselves, soul, hope in God, know that he is here. And so God, as we come to these tangible reminders, would you meet us at the bread and the cup? By your spirit, and give us your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.